Today's episode of Reading Women is brought to you by Novel Gazing, the newest literary fiction podcast from Book Riot, North America's largest independent book site. Novel Gazing is your destination for all things literary fiction, bringing you news from the world of fiction and recommendations for under-the-radar reads, works in translation, buzzy books, and more. Stay in the know, expand your TBR and your view of literary fiction, and, of course, have some laughs with hosts Mary Kay McBriar and Louise Johnson. Subscribe to Novel Gazing wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is also sponsored by A Farewell to Arms, Legs, and Jockstraps by Diane Shaw. A Farewell to Arms, Legs, and Jockstraps is an entertaining true-life memoir of Diane Shaw, the first female sports journalist for a major national daily. Diane details her experiences breaking the glass ceiling in sports journalism and laying the path for today's female reporters. Diane is candid about the sexism and discrimination that she encountered as she wasn't one of the boys. Diane tells comedic, fascinating, and sometimes tragic stories about her adventures in journalism featuring some of the biggest names of the era. Right now, for a limited time, Red Lightning Books and Indiana University Press are offering an exclusive free chapter download for listeners of Reading Women. Visit iupress.org slash jockstraps hyphen reading to download a special sneak peek. A Farewell to Arms, Legs, and Jockstraps by Dan Shaw is available wherever books are sold. And all of the information for this title, including the link for the exclusive download, will be linked in our show notes. Now, on to the show. Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester here with Sati Argabright, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 87, where we're talking about books around this month's theme, which is nonfiction titles for Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. You can find a complete transcript and a list of all the books mentioned today linked in our show notes. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. So nice to have you here again, Sachi. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. The month of May is such a big month. <laughs> and we just talked about Ohio and Cleveland yes. picks for our special episode. So I feel like that was very fitting for this time of year. Yes, absolutely. Uh, any excuse to talk about where I'm from is a good one. So thank you so much for having me on for that. So listeners, if you haven't checked out our special episode, which happens when there are five Wednesdays in a month, you should definitely go check out our last one, which is all about Cleveland and the Rust Belt and all sorts of things. So uh, I will link that down in the show notes so you can go check that out if you haven't already. Yes. Uh, So we have a few news items. Uh, So we had virtual Indie Bookstore Day this past weekend as of when we're recording. (laughs) Uh, and so normally, uh, dear listeners, the last weekend of April is Indie Bookstore Day, but for obvious circumstances, they moved it to kind of like an online party, mm-hmm. virtual Indie Bookstore Day. Uh, there were like live streams and sales and all sorts of fun things. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I feel like a lot of things are moving virtual, obvious for obvious reasons, but I'm so glad that people are still hosting these things, even though it adds a wrench in all the logistics to give people opportunities to still get their word out there and give um, people who are willing to donate and support these um, businesses and individuals um, a platform to do that still. So I love to see all of those offerings uh, still being made available online. Yeah, yeah. And I really have appreciated how different organizations have stepped up for it. So Libro FM did are doing like this sock situation, which is amazing, where they have different guest designers come on and design socks for them. Who doesn't love socks? I I bought two. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like it's for a good cause. And they have audiobook t shirts, which Ooh. honestly I have no idea why I don't have like a dozen of them. <laughs> Like I was about to say, of think. all people, you would be the one. <laughs> I only have one Libro FM t-shirt <laughs> that they like sent me last December or something. So I uh, picked up another one and two pairs of socks nice. for Indie Bookstore Day, as well as uh, The Prettiest Star by Carter Sickles, Ooh. which is, 
I only read like a half a dozen books by men. <laughs> um, but if you're going to read a book by a man, this one is a good option. Uh, so The Pretty Star, um, C. Pam Zhang's uh, How Much of These Hills is Gold, and uh, Clapping You Land by Elizabeth Acevedo. Yes. Of course. Yeah. I'm very excited for that one. Um, when I found out that she had another release coming out this year, I like screamed inside because I just absolutely <laughs> love anything that she writes. So I'm very much looking forward to to picking that up when it comes out. Yeah. And the, the Naked Hardback is gorgeous. It's printed Ooh. like um, with Fire on High was. Yes, I was about to say, The Naked Hardback with Fire and High was so good. Yeah, and I just, uh, I screamed out loud and scared Dylan out of his <laughs> mind um, when it came in, because I didn't know for some reason. Maybe I'd just forgotten. Mm. It Both are perfectly possible, but I really love that. And I bought a couple of those through bookshop.org. So bookshop.org, if you all are unfamiliar, is a website that's basically an indie alternative to the big company that shall not be named. And they have actually raised over a million dollars so far since the beginning of the year for Whoa. independent bookstores. Yeah. That's awesome. Most of it has been within the last uh, six weeks, two right. months or so. Okay. But we actually now have a storefront over there Woo! and we are now using all bookshop.org affiliate links. So if you click on a link in our show notes that goes straight to bookshop.org, you'll be supporting indie bookstores and reading women all at the same time. Ooh, two for one. Right. And <laughs> all the co-hosts now have a favorite shelf as well. Yes. Check out my favorites. The If you follow me on Instagram, it's going to be like, okay, we get it. You are obsessed with these you know, same <laughs> books or whatever. But if you're not on Instagram or you frequent Goodreads as well, have some of them on there, but I have a dedicated shelf on the bookshelf or on the book, on our bookshop, uh, our storefront, check it out there and you can support the podcast. Yeah. And fun fact, I'm pretty sure Pachinko is on all of our lists. <laughs> really? <laughs> I love it. Pachinko's probably, you know, if not my number one, definitely my top three of all time. It's so good. Yeah. And she is such a perfect human. Like, oh, I know. Oh. She's so sweet. I love her so much. And so I treasure my signed copies of her books. And may <laughs> she stay healthy and well so she can finish the trilogy. Uh, yes, for real. Because... I loved free food as well. Um, in addition to, to Pachinko, but Minjin Lee, you gotta, you gotta, you know, take a little bit quicker than like 10 years to research <laughs> each one of your books. It's like Donna Tart situation. <laughs> I know. Um, well, we have some other news that, uh, we have here on the agenda, the y'all West, which became the y'all stay at home virtual, like book festival, I guess we might call mm -hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's called Y'all West because uh, the first two letters in Y'all are YA. So it's a, a YA focused book festival that takes place every year. And once all the COVID-19 um, news came out and many states were mandating shelter in place, they decided to make the quick pivot to move that festival online. Um, so while it was very successful, um, they, I think I read an article saying that over 80 different authors participated, which is fantastic. There was also a little bit of controversy that we wanted to, to highlight um, just because I think it's kind of related to the reason why we have this podcast. There was a panel focused on um, diversity in the YA publication space, and um, there was a white moderator, which is kind of odd uh, to have for a diversity focused um, uh, panel. She had pointed out in one of the comments or Q&A kind of discussions that she believed that white middle class straight boys weren't getting any growth and representation um, because the comment was made that we have to have more rapid growth in, um, in uh, representation from a diversity and, and race standpoint, and uh, obviously greatly offended many of the, the audience. And one of the panelists uh, ended up calling out the moderator. And so Twitter was ablaze. Y'all stay at home, uh, decided to do a redo, 
which was great. And they had Nick Stone um, moderate. And if anyone has been to a book festival where Nick Stone is there, she is absolutely wonderful. I love her. Very so great, very personable. And I uh, heard that it went much, much better. And Angie Thomas on her, had her Zoom background, <laughs> a bunch of, uh, you know, white authors because it's, it's so disparaged and, and people loved that. And I just, I saw screenshots of it and I was like, you know, good on you, Angie Thomas. She's awesome. <laughs> so that happened this weekend. Um, but I think it's just highlights that, you know, even in literary circles, like this, this mindset of, you know, we need to give, you know, voice to straight white men who've had the, had the stage, you know, f- you know, forever at this point, um, is still out there. And so the reason why we focus on reading books by and about women and, um, having as much intersectionality, um, as possible and giving voice to marginalized people is so important. That's why we, we do what we do. Exactly. So I wanted to highlight that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And I just, when I heard about this, I was just like, you know, you put your head in hands, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I was that emoji. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, why? Like, really? Did, you not, <laughs> did no one think through that? How many people had to okay this for this to happen? Right. And like, it probably, you know, was okayed once when they were planning logistics to have it in person and then everything gets okayed again. Like when they're doing the virtual stuff, it's like, did no one sit back and say like, Hey, maybe we should not have this moderator here? I, I don't know. I, I just don't get it. Well, we, a book festival that we are very excited about is the Weekend of Words, which is happening May 9th through 10th. And this is a very diverse book festival that Reading Women is a part of. So so this is presented by the Shuffle Collective, which is a writing group, I believe, over uh, on the West Coast. And so they have put together an online virtual um, book festival focused on writers and also looking at stories and writers who may have been overlooked for various reasons. Um, Maybe they're part of minority groups or maybe they're international writers or or whatever the case might be. And so I'm going to be on a panel uh, about creating literary podcasts. Um, Bezzy is moderating a podcast about Afrofuturism, which is perfect for her. I think Yatasha Womack is going to be. No way. Really? Uh, she's on the Shaping Our Future Afrofuturism and Literature podcast. So Bezzy cool. and Yatasha Womack are going to be in the same virtual room. <gasps> so I'm very excited. So That sounds amazing. I can't wait to do that. Is there Are they charging any type of admission or is it going to be free for anyone to stream? Or The festival is 100% free. They're just encouraging people to support these authors by buying their books and to support indie bookstores by buying from indie bookstores. I will link all of the information down below so you can go check out Bezzy's panel and the panel I'm on. And I believe Reading Woman is doing a live recording via Zoom. And we are going to be focusing on debut authors whose books came out during uh, social distancing slash quarantine and who've been affected by that. I think we're also going to include international authors whose first book in America came out. So like their American debut, um, because there are some translated authors who made their debut during this and they already difficult, you know, yeah. struggle for, yeah, struggle with book sales. So like Breasts and Eggs is coming out. Mm here in the near future. So, um, yeah, lots of fun things happening there. So there's so many different panels and they're updating their website seemingly every day with new things that they put together. Ooh. Yeah. So that is on May 9th and 10th and it's virtual for free. You can go online and check it out. So fantastic. I'll definitely be checking that out. Yes. I think that's it for news. So we can now head into our picks for our nonfiction titles for Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Yes. So as, you know, many of you probably remember from last year, I feel like I am a huge, obviously, champion of this, like, uh, celebration, literary celebration, uh, everyone, not a literary, so literary for this podcast, but a celebration in general for, for Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And so we wanted to incorporate a way to still kind of celebrate this month, but do it in a way that was different than what we talked about last year. Um, so that's why we really wanted to focus on specifically nonfiction picks, which I really loved because I, 
guilty as charged. I usually read fiction over nonfiction, but anytime I do pick up nonfiction, I'm usually very, very pleasantly surprised. And I'm always like, I should read more of this. (laughs) And then I dive into the fiction rabbit hole. So this was a really great way for me to focus on that and, um, you know, get the word out on these two absolutely great titles that, um, I picked for the podcast today, which I'm very jazzed about. So get ready to get all of the gushing because <laughs> that's what we do best here at reading women. <laughs> it's true. So the first book that I have today, um, that I'd like to share is called whiter Asian American women on skin color and colorism. Um, and this is edited by Nikki, uh, Kana and, uh, it's out from NYU press and this is an anthology collection. So, um, multiple uh, authors or or writers, and all of the contributors are Asian American women, and they're talking about their experiences with colorism. The the thing that I liked most about this book is that it first has a really great intro and then is divided into these six parts. Um, And the kind of stories are are organized or uh, grouped into these themes, which made it very, very easy to follow. Um, So the six parts are colorism defined, privilege, aspirational whiteness, anti-blackness, belonging and identity, and skin redefined. And for me personally, this was something I have never really read before. I've read about colorism mainly from the kind of uh, lens of the black experience and not necessarily Asian and and specifically Asian American experience. And so, you know, both books that I'm going to highlight are absolutely important and I'm so thankful they're being published right now. I feel like Asian American fiction really got a big spotlight. I feel like I think it was like two years ago in 2018. And I think Asian American nonfiction is really getting spotlit um, in 2020, at least with these two picks, because 2020 is kind of already off the rails. So (laughs) who knows what the rest (laughs) of the year is going to look like. But these two books that I'm highlighting today are 2020 releases early on the year, and I think are absolutely stand out. So I have, I have a ton of notes for this book. I could literally (laughs) go on and on and on forever, (laughs) but you know, there, there's all kinds of things that I didn't know about, you know, skin lightning and the discrimination, even within specific racial groups and within certain Asian communities, you know, I fully recognize I'm a, I'm a light skin biracial, you know, individual. And so there, there is a certain privilege that comes with that. So part of my lack of knowledge around colorism is because I, I don't experience it as, as much as some of my other Asian and Asian American counterparts do. I'm just thankful that this is out there and it very much explains some of these things that's probably very common knowledge to most people. But, you know, after having reflected back on some of my conversations with my Japanese relatives and how they're so fascinated by like my Eurasian looking face because I'm, I'm Hapa or, or Hafu in the Japanese uh, community because I'm, I'm half Japanese and half white, you know, that is a form of this emphasis on colorism. And the more I kind of read this book and I look back at my life and my experiences, it has touched, touched me and, and it does affect so many people. And I wouldn't have recognized that um, and and it wouldn't have informed my my thinking if I hadn't read this book. So I'm just so thankful that this is out there. And if anyone wants to learn more about this topic and, you know, the very many ways it can affect people, this is a really, really great resource. And I'm I just keep talking about it all the time to people. (laughs) So so Kendra, had you heard, heard about this book at all before we picked it for the podcast? I hadn't heard of it until you mentioned it, but then when I talked to Samaya, she had it on her radar because we're doing beauty standards in the fall. Oh, okay. Yeah. This will, oh, this would be perfect for that. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm very excited about it. It's on my list to buy. It sounds like this is a book that's sort of like Kathy Park Hong's book, but only for beauty standards from an Asian, pan-Asian perspective. Yes. Uh, so it sounds absolutely fantastic. 
minor feelings. I think they do talk a little bit about some of these themes. If there was just like a extremely deep dive on some of those topics that are just scratched in the surface in that book, that would be this book. The, the way that it's laid out and um, the way that the introduction puts hard facts to support some of the anecdotes that are written by the contributors. It's a really great balance because for me, like sometimes I get lost in nonfiction because of like, there's all of like the very data driven or like fact driven type things. And I'm like, I want narrative. <laughs> like I, that's why I read a lot of memoirs. Cause I'm like, I, what's like the story behind this? Like how do I, what's the emotional investment? And this book has that balance. It has the, the facts and stats that can will sh- sometimes, in, at least in my case, like shock you and get you very much like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I never knew about this. And then it has the stories from the contributors that support the facts to say like, yes, like this contextualizes it. This shows the real stories that back up the facts, which I really loved that balance in this book. It sounds, it sounds amazing. And I kind of wonder like, oh, I hadn't realized there hadn't been a book written about this. I know, right? <laughs> recently. So, yeah, I think it's definitely one that I haven't seen very much on Bookstagram and just the general bookish world at large. But I maybe that's because it's from a university press. But I hope more people will definitely pick it up. Yes, I hope so, too. And the people at NYU Press were absolutely so nice and so friendly. (laughs) So um, check out their account, too, because they have a lot of really great books in their lineup and on their feed. And this this book is no exception. It's wonderful. So that is Whiter. um, And uh, that is from or edited by Nikki Kahana and is out by NYU Press. And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is Kobo Audiobooks. If you like podcasts like this one, then you'll love Kobo Audiobooks. Uh, Listening to audiobooks lets you fit more reading into your life. Listen while you work out, walk the dog, do puzzles, play video games, or really any time. I always have an audiobook playing in the background, and I can attest that audiobooks while you're cooking or brushing the corgi or really whatever chore you happen to do, it makes the time go so much faster. Kobo has a huge catalog of audiobooks, including bestsellers and originals across all genres. So today we want to tell you about two great ways that you can save. The first one is that you can start an audiobook subscription and get your first book for free. So you start your free 30-day trial, download the free app, select your audiobook, and start listening. The book is yours to keep, even if you cancel. Every month afterwards, you pay just $9.99. That's a better price than other monthly audiobook subscriptions. The second way you can save is that you can use the code RW40 to get 40% off one of their select audiobooks curated by Kobo's audiobook experts. To get started, visit kobo.com slash readingwomen. To start listening to Kobo audiobooks today, that's visit kobo.com slash readingwomen. Thanks so much to Kobo for sponsoring this episode. And of course, all of their information will be linked in our show notes. This episode is also sponsored by A Farewell to Arms, Legs and Jockstraps by Diane Shaw. A Farewell to Arms, Legs and Jockstraps is an entertaining true life memoir of Diane Shaw, the first female sports journalist for a major national daily. Diane details her experiences breaking the glass ceiling in sports journalism and laying the path for today's female reporters. Diane is candid about the sexism and discrimination that she encountered as she wasn't one of the boys. Diane tells comedic, fascinating, and sometimes tragic stories about her adventures in journalism featuring some of the biggest names of the era. Right now, for a limited time, Red Lightning Books and Indiana University Press are offering an exclusive free chapter download for listeners of Reading Women. Visit iupress.org slash jockstraps hyphen reading to download a special sneak peek. A Farewell to Arms, Legs, and Jockstraps by Dan Shaw is available wherever books are sold. And all of the information for this title, including the link for the exclusive download, will be linked in our show notes. Kendra, what is your first pick for this episode? 
So I picked the magical language of others, a memoir by E.J. Co. out from Tin House. And I didn't know this at the time, but it is a great parallel with Kathy Park Hong's book as well, because E.J. Co. is a poet who is writing in prose for this memoir. And what E.J. Co. does in this book is write about her mother's letters to her. So when E.J. Ko was a young girl. Her parents moved back to South Korea for a job and stayed there for like five to seven years. They ended there for a pretty long time. And so her mother would write her letters. But because the author only knew like elementary school Korean, the letters were written in a very basic linguistic format. So what she ended up doing was in her MFA also, I think, having a, a double major essentially in translation Mm. and so the project she worked on was a lot of her mother's letters and so she kind of you know she she translates a letter and puts it in english for you alongside the korean version but then she kind of analyzes where she was in her life and her relationship with her mom and just tells her story around language and how her mom speaking a language and her speaking a different language and how she majored in language and in English poetry affected her life. And I will say like poets, when they write prose and do it well, are just some of the best prose writers. It's incredible. Like, I don't know how they do it, but when I read something that's like, gosh, this writing style is so beautiful. And then I look at the the bio and it's like, oh, this is a poet. Of course, this is beautiful. (laughs) Like, no surprise. Yes. And I was just so mesmerized by the book and how the author talked about the English language. And, you know, Kathy Park Hong has a parallel essay in hers about, you know, her relationship with the English language. And I felt like the two books were very much in conversation and I read them within like a month of each other. And I adored the audiobook for this as well. And I, I really love what Tin House does. I love their books. And so it's no surprise that this book is amazing because the author just really puts a lot of thought into how language interacts with her relationship with her mother and with her Korean heritage, being Korean American. So it's beautiful. I have this one uh, downstairs. I, I tried to read it in time for this episode, but unfortunately didn't get to it. But now I really want to pick it up. <laughs> yeah. And I will, I will say since, you know, we are social distancing and it's a lot, this is a very emotionally difficult book to read. Mm. And even though it's a very short book, I, I took me a while to read it just because each chapter was so emotionally impactful. Mm. I'd have to put it aside, read something happy and fluffy and then like come back to it um and that i feel like that i mean obviously we're all very sensitive to such things right now Mm -hmm. but i feel like that does speak for the emotional i don't know the emotional communication that she was able to do in this book of how she felt about her relationship with her mother and how that was such a very tumultuous experience for her yeah that's a good call out i i know a lot there's a lot of folks who are sensitive, including myself right now, which is emotional roller coaster every day. Um, so definitely good to keep that in mind for all of our yeah. listeners and readers today. So that is The Magical Language of Others, a memoir by E.J. Ko, and that is out from the wonderful Tin House. Uh, so Sachi, you have our first discussion pick that we're going to talk about today. Yes. And our first discussion pick is something that we've already mentioned a couple times. So you could probably tell that we're very jazzed to talk about this <laughs> on our next episode as well. And that is Minor Feelings, an Asian American Reckoning by Kathy Park Hong. And this is out from One World. And um, so I won't go into too much detail on this one because we want to save all of our fun nuggets for our upcoming episode. (laughs) But like we kind of alluded to earlier, you know, in this episode and multiple comments, this book is, you know, I feel like, at least for me, something unlike anything that I've ever read before. It's extremely honest, very original, and it's a collection of essays focused specifically on the Asian American experience. And Kathy Park Hong highlights the complexities of being Asian in America by it's it's hard to explain. She like blends history and cultural criticism with stories from her own past. So it's like 
kind of part like nonfiction kind of analysis and um, deep dive, but also talks about her life and is it feels like some parts of this felt very memoir to me. And so again, I li- really like that balance between those those two types of sides to the book, similar to the previous pick. But I think you know a lot of people don't realize that the Asian American demographic is extremely wide. Um, a lot of people just misidentify a lot of Asian and Asian Americans as just Chinese or Japanese. <laughs> and in reality, it, it's much more than that. You know, I was looking at, uh, in preparation for this episode, census data from 2010. So obviously we have the 2020 census coming up. If you haven't set, done your census stuff, like very important, <laughs> uh, <laughs> please do that. It only takes five minutes. <laughs> you can do it online. Um, so interested to see what, what the 2020 census looks like, but in 2010, there were 20 recorded Asian origin subgroups under the Asian American demographic, which is, is much more than I think what people kind of identify as Asian American. Most people think it's, think of it as just East Asian. And out of that top three, two of the three are, not East Asian. So again, like, you know, number one is Chinese and Taiwanese, which is East Asian. Number two is Filipino. And like, I don't think a lot of people know that like the second largest Asian population in America is Filipino people. And there have been a lot more Filipino books coming out, which is great. But I I think that's something that a lot of people don't, don't realize. And then for, for just to round it out, that number three is Indian, which is, which is South Asian. And so Kathy Park Hong in this book really, encapsulates a lot of uh, these these different uh, kind of facts and experiences and, and highlights a ton of different issues uh, within the Asian American community. Things like income disparities, the, the model minority myth, which hear all the time. <laughs> and I feel like in this book specifically, really lays out and illustrates the harm that the model minority myth can can be, especially to the Asian community. Representation, self-hatred, you know, immigration bans, racial purgatory, all these different like super heavy things. So again, the caveat, if you're picking this up during quarantine or sheltering in place, you know, there might be certain things that are a little heavier that you that you might want to take your time in reading this book. But so many great things, so many good nuggets. Kendra, I know you love this book too, and we're going to discuss it at length um, in the next episode, but what were the biggest things that you took away from from this book? I, I really loved how she analyzed being an Asian American woman from her own experience and used like topics of her own identity. So for example, a big one is the Asian woman as artist. Mm-hmm. And that is not something that I have ever heard really written about and like Mm -hmm. her experience with interacting with art and poetry and how Asian women are represented. And there was just something I'd never really read much about. And I was just so blown away by a lot of the stats and research that she had done and just a lot of different things with that was really interesting. A lot of these essays, I just never really read about or, or thought about or had framed the way that she does in this book. And so it's very much, I think, going to be like a contemporary, like essay kind of classic for the Asian American canon, mm-hmm. really. Absolutely. And I think she alludes to it in one of the essays in the book as well. But it's it's also she kind of highlights the effect of like once you learn about these things and these things are pointed out to you, it's almost like you can't unsee them. Yeah. And it it needs to be out there in the first place in order for you to experience that. And I think that's why I'm so excited that these things are being these uh, these types of books are being published and really getting highlighted because the paradigm shift doesn't happen unless people pick up books like this. Um, and I think that's really important. Even as someone who identifies as Asian American and in part of the community, I learned so much. So I think there's a lot of potential for any reader to learn, um, uh, with this book, um, or any of the books that we're going to talk about, um, today and on our next episode. Yeah, definitely. I can't wait. I have so many like tabs in this book. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So many good ones. So um, that is Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong, and that is out by One World. And so, Kendra, what is your discussion pick? 
So I chose uh, The Woman Warrior, a memoir of girlhood among ghosts by Maxine Hong Kingston. And a listener at the podcast may remember that uh, Josh uh, Autumn's husband mentioned this because he had been doing some dissertation work on Maxine Kingston. And so I'd had her on my TBR for ages. uh, And I was like, hey, this is a good opportunity because if you think about... Um, Asian American or more specifically Chinese American nonfiction, like her name is the first one to come up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because she was one of the first women nationally recognized as just an amazing writer period, which is sad because it happened in uh, 1976 is when this came out. So mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that it took so long for people to recognize um, an Asian American woman writer as this prestigious was just is kind of disheartening but i'm glad it eventually did happen so right (laughs) um but she has won everything my word she won like the national book critics circle award she won a national humanities medal a medal for distinguished contribution to Mm. american letters from the national book foundation uh national medal of the arts which i didn't realize was different from the national humanities medal but I learned something new today or whenever <laughs> I was researching this. Um, and she won so many things, basically. And she's a treasured writer among especially Asian-American writers today and, again, specifically Chinese-American writers. So, for example, Celeste Ng chose uh, The Woman Warrior as her pick for the PBS book club uh, last August. And she talked about that when she was growing up, you know, this was one of the few representations that she had. And uh, I read this almost back to back with Kathy Park Hong's book. And Kathy Park Hong notes in one of her essays that the term Asian American was revolutionary at the time when it came out in 1968. And so Maxine Hong Kingston grew up without a Asian American identity. You know, she grew up just as Chinese um, and, and she fought most of her life to be considered American period, you know. And so the fact that Asian American came out was a, was a big deal for her. And she talks about that in The Woman Warrior. And so I did a lot of research for this because um, <laughs> I wanted to make sure, like, because this is an older book, so it is dated in some ways, but it's still very much treasured because it was one of the first ones and it's had such mm-hmm. a big influence. So we're going to talk about that. So, yeah, like anytime this also was on my TBR for a very long time. So when Kendra uh, mentioned it, I said, oh, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I've been needing to read this for a long time because anytime someone I I tell someone, you know, oh, yeah, I I usually try to focus on reading, um, you know, books from people of color because I'm Asian American and I love reading Asian and Asian American titles specifically. Everyone's like, oh, well, have you read like The Woman Warrior? And then I would be like. And for, for a lot of people I've noticed, like either just talking about, you know, book recommendations online with people or in person, this is, I think required reading for, for some folks, it wasn't required reading for me, but a lot of people had said, Hey, you know, I read this in, you know, high school or college for required reading. And I really loved it. Like you should read it. And I'd be like, yeah, I should, I really need to like, um, and so I, I read it I did it on audio. It is narrated by the same woman who voiced Mulan in uh, the Disney depiction of Mulan. So it was like a comforting voice that I recognized and the book was surprisingly shorter than I, I originally thought. I was like, man, I could have knocked this out like a long time ago. <laughs> um, but I'm so glad we finally got to do this because that means I get to discuss it with you, Kendra. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. And when you mentioned that it was narrated by the actress who voiced Mulan, I was like, oh, cool. And then like Fa Mulan is mentioned yes! in the text and she said it and I was like, oh, yes, I hear it now. Like, Yes. Okay. I was like, Inception. <laughs> I, like, she's talking about the movie that she was voicing. Or, no, she did, the, the movie wasn't referenced specifically, but the folktale was. And I was like, oh yes. my gosh, I can't believe this is happening right now. <laughs> and there's a lot of folklore in this book. Yeah. Uh, and how it's, you know, folklore changes over time and it can change who's telling it. And uh, there's a lot of storytelling and playing with truth and what is truth. And what it was like to be a Chinese-American woman, one, when that identity didn't exist, but two, never having been to China. And, like, she didn't, you know, if her mom hadn't told her that China exists and that, you know, China, she saw China on a map. But other than that, like, that's the only connection she felt she had to China 
and how tumultuous that was for her own internal identity and view of herself, uh, I think was such a big deal that I don't think we have in the same way now. I'm obviously a white woman saying this, but from what I have read and from what I read from Kathy Park Kong, who was great to read with this, there is a more awareness of identity than there was at the time when Maxine Hong Kingston grew up. And so just seeing that kind of the beginning to the present with the with these two discussion picks, I think was unintentionally, but brilliant, you know? Like. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I feel like it, it's definitely, it's highlighted in, in minor feelings, but I think a lot of literature, fiction and nonfiction that is either by or about Asian Americans, uh, one of the main kind of, themes that is is constantly referenced is kind of that generational struggle between parents who have have probably immigrated from their original um, uh, country of origin in in uh, the various regions of Asia and the the child or second generation who is raised in America and they're they're experiencing two cultures one at home that is very much Asian and then the one at school or with friends that are very much like American and what that clash looks like. And I feel like it's something that if you're in the community or if you've read that literature, it's, it's, it's very easy to see what that, you know, dynamic looks like and feels like, but for Maxine Hong Kingston, you know, growing up in a time where that wasn't widely labeled and talked about and, contextualized, you know, when we read or, or listen in our case to the woman warrior, you can, you can feel some of those things of, oh yeah, what she's experiencing is what so many Asian Americans experience, but you can tell that because she doesn't have that, you know, label for it or understanding that she's not the only one that's going through this, it can be extremely confusing and, um, strained on that, you know, relationship with family members and on me the mental health and just personal self-reflection of that individual. And so this is, it's, it's very interesting to read this, like you said, in conjunction with um, minor feelings or, or um, any type of Asian, current, current Asian American literature, because you are getting a little bit of insight that the author or narrator hasn't necessarily achieved yet, which is, is very, very interesting. Yeah. I, and I feel like, um, and we were going to get, we, we obviously have so much to say about this book. <laughs> so I, I'm just going to leave it there because I will spoil the next episode. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, I really love reading these two books together and I feel like in my conversations about both of them, I have not been able to have that without mentioning the other. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which has been interesting because you can see like, this is where they started. This is where they've come from to the present. And I think that's beautifully illustrated with the two books. And so um, we'll have some links in this episode. I have some links uh, with like Celeste Ng talking to Maxine Hong Kingston um, and uh, some different things that I will include here. So if you want to like read up on a few things before <laughs> you jump into our discussion, feel free because heaven knows I have enough links, like wandering around <laughs> our notes. Um <laughs> So that is The Woman Warrior, a memoir of a girlhood among ghosts by Maxine Hong Kingston. And that is our second discussion pick. And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is the Skylight Digital Picture Frame. So are you looking for the perfect gift for your mom or loved one? You know, I'm not able to visit my parents or my in-laws as much as I would like to as they live in different states, uh, which is why I love the Skylight Picture Frame. It's touchscreen and you can email photos to it and they appear in seconds so uh, your loved one can see the photo in a matter of moments. You can also preload it so when you give the gift of a Skylight digital picture frame, uh, it will come preloaded with all of the amazing photos that you know that she wants. Uh, in my case, that would be photos of Dylan uh, because we all know who the favorite is in our family. It is no surprise. So Skylight sent me a 
picture frame for this and I immediately had photos of Dylan on it and very quickly let's just be honest and so now I get to watch as Dylan's face scrolls across the digital picture frame and it brings me so much joy and I know that this is definitely something that my mom would love. Now as a special holiday offer you can get 10% off your purchase of a skylight frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash reading women and enter the code reading. Uh, that's right, you can get 10% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame. Just go to skylightframe.com slash readingwomen and enter the code READING. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash reading. And thanks so much to the Skylight Frame for sponsoring this episode. So our guest this month is Ruth Ann, or RA, and she is uh, one of our contributors. And so she is just a huge nonfiction buff. Like when I am looking for a nonfiction title, you I go, go to RA when you yes. need a nonfiction title. <laughs> Yeah, we're, our guest spot is with her. I also want to mention here that she's also my guest on the Patreon podcast. And if you don't know, on Reading Women, um, we have a Patreon, which keeps our lights on and keeps everything going smoothly. And we have been so thankful, especially right now, for all of your support. And so we have an hour to an hour and a half long episode <laughs> Every month. Ooh. Um, and we just talk about libraries and uh, books and whatever uh, the guests are interested in. And Ruthann was my guest. And we talked about libraries and audiobooks and <laughs> all of the things. And she and I both share a love of research and links. And we lamented that poor Sachi got it from all sides this month. <laughs> I was literally, I was, I was <laughs> contemplating making a joke of like, I got firsthand experience <laughs> in all of the research tendencies of Ari and Kendra. And so I, uh, I, I'm going to confess, I very much skimmed some things and I didn't op open every link, but I was very jazzed by all the enthusiasm for the both of you. <laughs> We're like kindred spirits. <laughs> and then a second thought, oh, poor Sati, all of the links. So yeah, so I will include some of those in our show notes. So definitely go check that out. Uh, <laughs> but uh, definitely check out our Patreon, which is, of course, linked down below. Um, but without further ado, here is Ruthann. This is Ruthann, and you can find me on Instagram at definitely RA, because I've been called RA since I was in high school. At Reading Women, I contribute to the newsletter with book reviews. And a lot of it is nonfiction. I love reading nonfiction. I think true stories are really powerful and I really enjoy sharing nonfiction written by women, all different genres. And it has been really wonderful to be a part of this team and share my passion that way. I was really excited that in May we were focusing on nonfiction written by Asian American women because my um, heritage is Chinese, 100% Chinese in my background. Um, my grandparents all immigrated from China in the 40s. And so it's been really interesting as I have grown up and even more in adulthood learned more about the Asian American experience. Um, I grew up in an all white Polish Catholic small town in Connecticut with only one other Asian kid in my classes growing up. Um, so I would not say that I had a very typical Asian American upbringing in terms of my friends and what my experiences were, but it really came through in my family. So when I read stories written by or about Asian American families and protagonists, it really resonates. I feel the same, you know, conflicts that they have experienced. And it's really very interesting for me to hear from different authors, especially from different backgrounds and different parts of America. I think there are a lot of various experiences people have had. So being able to focus on this topic this month has been really wonderful um, to look more intentionally into these types of authors. And I have read a lot of great books as a result. The first book that I have chosen to share today is The Making of Asian America by Erica Lee. And this is a work of history. I do not have a head for history. It's actually the genre of nonfiction that I struggle with the most. 
perhaps only second to true crime or anything scary. I just scare very easily. But with history, I'm very curious about it, but I cannot retain it. So I have to find history that's very interesting and has a good narrative arc, you know, kind of like I'm tricking myself into learning history. Um, And so I listened to the making of Asian America on audio and the reader, um, Emily Wu Zeller does an amazing job with this um, narration and performance. It's not dramatic or anything like that, but she does a great job tracking with all the different names and time periods. Um, And Erica Lee as a historian and a writer is so clear in her writing about all the different phases of Asian American immigration to America over the years and different ways that legislation and um, the industrial um, innovation over time impacted this population. I learned so much about Asian immigrants from all different countries. um, And I thought Erica Lee did a great job showing how this idea of a model minority is detrimental to Asian Americans and people in general because of the danger of pitting stereotypes against each other. So I learned so much in reading this book and I was so pleased at how well it kept my attention. I recommended it immediately to my mom who, unlike me, has a brain for history. She loves it. She loves research. And I actually gave a copy to her for her birthday. So that is a real compliment to this book. Uh, My mom is very well read with history and Asian history in general, but I think that she will really enjoy this book. And I think that anyone who likes history anyway um, would really enjoy this book. I think that Asian Americans in America are a lesser known entity within American history. So if you like American history in particular, then I would definitely recommend this book to add to your knowledge. Um, And if you're interested in general about Asian Americans and history, I think that this is such a great um, work of history and writing. So that was The Making of Asian America by Erica Lee. The second book I've chosen to highlight today is Not Quite, Not White by Sharmila Sen. And this is touted as a memoir manifesto about race, immigration, and assimilation. I wasn't quite sure what to expect, but this book is really slim. It's under 200 pages, and it is written by Sharmila Sen, who is currently the editorial director at Harvard University Press. And she was a professor of English before taking that role. She immigrated to the U.S. from India in 1982 when she was 12 years old. And her story is incredibly interesting because she went from being the dominant culture in India to being a minority in the United States. And she learned about race as part of her assimilation process. So there's a lot in the book about India, about what the culture was, how she experienced it, and all the different divisions within the country between religion or geography or social standing, but race really never was a part of that. So when the author came to the United States, she had to learn about that layer. And it was fascinating to hear her words. She was old enough to really process it. And she also had this experience of being a child of an immigrant and helping her parents navigate it as well. And then she went to Ivy League schools for her education. So there is a real personal growth story here about her own experience as an immigrant, but then her coming to grips with what does it mean for her to be Asian from a race point of view? And then how does she live that out in her academic life with her friends? She talks about how she avoided watching any movies about India with white people, because then she would have to talk about it afterward. And she was this stand-in Indian person who was supposed to know everything about the entire country. And 
I found that her story was really poignant and an interesting perspective that I, I have not personally read before. I would put this book in the same category or I would recommend it alongside I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown or White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, which are books about race in America. But I think Sharmila Sen's experience of going from being part of the dominant culture to being part of the minority culture is really unique and worth engaging with. For me, I nodded along with her experience of being Asian in America, but I don't have the same perspective because I have always lived in America. So I just found it very eye-opening throughout and very thought-provoking. And at one point in the book, she says, I got race the way people get chicken pox. I also got race as one gets a pair of shoes or a cell phone. In another register, I finally got race in the idiomatic American sense of fully comprehending something. So seeing that transformation and what she chose to do with it was incredibly just interesting and personally thought-provoking and making me consider, you know, how do I grapple with that in my everyday? I'm really glad I read it and I would highly recommend it. So that's Not Quite, Not White by Sharmila Sen. Thank you so much to RA for her wonderful spot. I am definitely going to pick up both of her picks because they're both new to me and I actually don't have them. So maybe I will support an indie bookstore or um, our bookshop if some of those are on there. So check out for those links down below. And thank you so much to RA for her guest segment today. And those are our six picks for this month. So now what are you currently reading, Sachi? So it is probably no surprise <laughs> to anyone that I, in celebration of uh, Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, I'm spending the whole month reading Asian and Asian American titles. Um, so currently I'm reading a recent release from Riverhead called How Much of These Hills is Gold by C. Pam Zhang. And I'm not usually into like Westerns or like Gold Rush type books, but I started this this past weekend and like flew through 60 pages in one sitting. So I was like, Oh, maybe I can do this. Like <laughs> maybe if there's, you know, Asian, Asian characters at the center of a Western, I'm very intrigued. So, um, I, I'm really loving, loving this one. And that's what I'm reading right now. So Kendra, what are you reading right now? I am forever reading the mirror and the light <laughs> by Hillary Mantel. Uh, this book is over 20 hours on audio, um, easily. It's 700 and some pages long. It's the last book in the Thomas Cromwell trilogy. And last month I read the middle book, Bring Up the Bodies, which is a lot shorter. It's like half the size. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so the pages are like onion skin pages, like Bible pages, you know, Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. of the new one. And so I am listening to it and the narrator is wonderful and it's written in present tense which I think was such a smart choice because it is historical fiction. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the first two books in this trilogy, uh, Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies, both won the Booker Prize. And so there's a lot of pressure on this one to win the Booker. And I think it, I love it, but I think it might be a little too long. So I'm, I'm worried for her. I'm really rooting for her. I'm very excited about this book. And um, after that, I do plan on reading her memoir, about her chronic illness and, and going through that. Um, she's just an important writer for me because she's so good, but she also still has a disabling chronic illness. So yeah, so I'm very excited about it. Loving it so far. I'm about halfway through. I still have so far to go. So far. I was going to say, it was like <laughs> halfway through. You've already invested <laughs> 10 hours. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically. But I, just, I listen to that and play Animal Crossing and it's like a meditation. Almost. I was just about to ask. I was like, are you playing Animal Crossing when you listen to this book? Always. <laughs> always is the answer. Are you playing Animal Crossing? <laughs> I have already over 170 hours. Oh, my God. <laughs> on, it. on Animal Crossing, not this book, to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> That's how many, you know, how many times over on the book that you're currently reading? <laughs> oh, my word. Um, so, yeah. So that's it um, for this episode. Uh, where can listeners find you about the internet, Sachi? Yeah, um, you can mainly find me on Instagram at Sachi Reads. 
And you can all find me at KD Winchester. That's K's and Kite, D as in Dylan Winchester. And uh, that's our show. If you haven't yet, please leave us a review in your podcast app of choice. And thanks to all of you who have already done that. Many thanks to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. We are especially grateful to you all right now uh, in this time uh, of turmoil. And we greatly, greatly appreciate you. So subscribe to our newsletter or to learn more about becoming one of our patrons, visit us at readingwomenpodcast.com. And be sure to join us next time where we'll be discussing Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong and The Woman Warrior by Maxine Hong Kingston. And in the meantime, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.